I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. My name is David Boris. And I'm Frankie C. And this is Everybody, everybody Sucks. Sucks. The podcast where we explore the struggles and triumphs of the journey from amateur to professional. People think that artists are born great at what they do, but the truth is, in the beginning, everybody, everybody sucks. sucks. Hey, we're here with Megan Barker. Hey. And Megan Barker has quite a history to her. She was born in Nashville to musical parents. Megan moved to Las Vegas around age nine. I don't think many people go to Vegas at age nine, but that's that's a that's a new one. By the time she was a teenager, she was performing professionally on the world famous Strip, planting her roots back in Nashville in 2017. She hit the ground running, releasing a highly anticipated EP produced by Brad Hill. The track listing included "I Cuss When I Pray" and "When My Boots Were New." In 2019, Megan played what she calls some of her favorite shows in Scotland and Ireland with David Evans, I believe. Yeah. This adventure and her impressive guitar playing brought endorsements from McPherson Guitars and Dan Post Boots. The same year, Megan also debuted at CMA Fest and the Bluebird Cafe. In 2021 and 2022, Megan had numerous releases as a songwriter, including songs by award-winning Canadian trio The Heels, whom I love personally. Megan is going to hit the road hard in 2023, so Megan Barker, <laughs> welcome to the show. You're the guest today. I know. I never it's get nice to be in the hot the, seat. Flip of the script. <laughs> I really like it. It's really nice to not be the chief executive officer of whatever's happening yeah do yeah. you feel like you're like the chef who's finally getting served right yes. now <laughs> a little bit <laughs> that's really except good. i'm not a chef i'm like i'm like a low-level cook that runs a the, sous chef i'm a sous chef megan tell us right off the bat how did you fall in love with music because i know your story starts so early in your life yeah how do you fall in love with music at age age eight and nine? Oh my gosh i don't even know where to start well first of all thanks for having me this is so awesome thanks for the fruit platter yeah <laughs> my mama taught me i can't go anywhere empty-handed so it was fruit today it's a good one but i was born to musical parents in nashville and i spent a lot of time in studios with my parents sipping yoohoos on the couch and like watching sessions happen and my dad was a writer so i'd spend time at his office i was just around it so much and then when i was like 13 i discovered john mayer and then that was really when it took off i mean i had taken guitar class in sixth grade and didn't take to it very well. My mom and dad had showed me chords. I had made little bands with my friends and my cousins. So the music was always there, but it wasn't until I discovered John Mayer that kind of like, oh, okay. Were your parents from Nashville or were they like Nashville-based industry people? Yeah. like So my dad was born in Dyersburg, Tennessee, which is like kind of near Memphis. And so my dad was a Tennessee boy. He wrote songs for like Ronnie Millsap, Hank Jr., wow. Bar Barbara Mandrell, Charlie Pride. So some of those classic, amazing artists that we all look up to. 
and my mom was a session singer and she toured and did background vocals. She was like a utility musician for like Freddie Hart, Little Jimmy Dickens. So when they came together, I was the only child that they had together. So like my dad had had a family before and my mom had a, I have an older sister. So I'm the only one who got the musical bug and my mom is not Nashville native, but they were based here. So yeah. your parents were like, your parents were in the scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's like, cause so many people come from outside of Nashville and yet you kind of have a backwards version of that where it's like <laughs> your lineage is actually from like yeah. the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad had numerous publishing deals because most writers do during their time. And he wrote for, for Dennis Morgan. He wrote for Tom Collins. And these are some of the biggest names still in Nashville. You're a young kid. Are you conscious of your father and your mother being part of something very different than everybody else? Or are you just like, this is life? Because you're just hanging out in the studio drinking yoo-hoos. Yeah. Well, and I don't even know if people call it that anymore, but Murder Market, Virginia's Market, which is right off Music Row. My dad, I'd get to go sometimes and we'd pull in there and I'd get like a hot ham and cheese sandwich and a yoo-hoo and I would just sit there. So I don't know. I mean, I just thought it was cool. I just, I always loved music. I mean, there's pictures of me when I was three years old holding a guitar and, and writing songs and putting on shows for my family and driving them crazy. I don't remember who it was. But there was some huge executive that my dad was friends with. And he made a joke one day. He's like, well, Megan's, you know, 18 and she wants a record deal. Just tell her to come to my office. And I remember like telling my friends, I was like, I have a record deal waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys don't even know. Um, oh I gosh. had no idea what that meant. And by the way, there was no record deal waiting for me, just in case anyone was wondering. Sorry to hear that. I don't think there's record deals waiting for anybody no, anymore. No, I don't think there are. So, um, And so you start singing and playing at a very young age and you said that at 13 then it's it's John Mayer that kind of like... Yeah. Is that is that the moment that you're oh, like, yeah. I want to do this? I remember the moment. Oh. Tell I us. This is so fascinating because I don't think this interests anybody else, but um, when I was nine years old, my parents divorced nine or 10. And we moved me and my mom and my sister and my sister's new little baby to Las Vegas because my mom had family out there. And so my dad came to visit when I was 13, probably. And to kind of make up for lost time, he, we weren't around each other very much. He wanted to take me to do something. So we were at Walmart and he was like, go pick out anything you want. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had heard Why Georgia on the radio. I love uh, that song. Right? And so I immediately was like, Dad, I want a John Mayer CD. I heard this guy named John Mayer. So we went to the CD section. And at that time, Room for Squares and Heavier Things, which was his first two albums, was out. And I was like, Dad, there's two. Like, what do I do? And of course, he was like, you can get them both. So like from the second that I like raced home and put it in my boombox, LOL, aging myself, I just like was like, this is cool. I don't know what's different, but something's different. And then that summer, I like somehow, I don't remember how I got it, but I got a D his DVD. There was like a live concert DVD and there was this moment halfway through the show and he played this one of the first songs that he ever wrote on electric guitar called Man on the Side mm. and I, something just happened and I just went, this is it. And it was. And after that, I mean, I just spent the whole summer trying to figure out how to play his songs and I couldn't. <laughs> so I would write my own and, and that was kind of that. Is that where you started writing? Yeah, like immediately that summer it was so prolific. I wrote, I'm sure pretty crappy songs then I made like a little CD and I was like asking my dad if he could send them to somebody and by that point my dad had songs cut in the 80s everybody had kind of retired you know if they were still living <laughs> so I mean they did they tried to introduce me here and there to some people that maybe could mentor me but 
really. I was kind of on my own. So I just started playing shows around Vegas. I started an open mic and then I made a few friends who were all much older than me and they booked some coffee shops and, you know, festivals and stuff. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth. So you're, you're, you're 13 years old, you're 14 years old, you're 15 years old. And now you're like booking open mics. Yeah. I was like 15 probably when I started the open mics and and I did that for a really long time and I would like play all original music and I got like cafe gigs where I'd play like three hours of just all original music, like no repeats and just, it was adorable. But then by the time I was like 16, 17, I was like, well, I'd love to make some money. And so I fought it for a really long time. Eventually I, I started playing covers. Are those but, covers like you're on the strip playing cover shows? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I booked so much of my own stuff. There were a couple agents that I kind of worked with, but like I really just booked my own stuff. I did that for so long. Right before I moved back here, I was on the strip five nights a week. I feel like at that age, performing in those environments would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, my mom came with me <laughs> to so many gigs. And like there were some gigs where like I had to have like an armed guard near me because there were people like walking by that were homeless and a little crazy. And some homeless guy tried to kiss me one time. I mean, there were there's some fun, fun times. I don't think there's any better training wheels than playing in Las Vegas. I mean, you're a young teenager and you're playing in an environment that is hyper adult. Mm -hmm. Were you conscious of that at all? Yeah, it was intimidating. I think that's why I didn't want to play covers for a long time because I think I knew it was going to take me out of like the first Friday art festivals and put me into this big, scary world. So at 18 years old, you're playing five, six, seven nights a week. Yeah. Did you have dreams and aspirations as to how you envisioned your career going at that point? Yeah. By then, I was coming back to Nashville for a little bit. My dad still lived either here in Nashville or in Dyersburg. He bounced back and forth his whole life. So he would meet me down here and, and we would just write for a week. Because this was before I was co-writing. My dad was my first co-writer, really. So That's very interesting. That's very unusual. <laughs> right. So like my biggest influences were like... Matchbox 20, Maroon 5, um, Michelle Branch, Katie Tunstall, Jason Mraz. Those people don't co-write, really. Those are singer-songwriters. So at that point, I wasn't really co-writing. Long story long, I was coming back and forth to Nashville, and I started coming back more and more and more, and I didn't want to be a lounge act forever. I know so many people still in Vegas that are incredible lounge acts, but I just knew that I needed to be in Nashville. How much of an influence did your dad have on that concept that there was a bigger world out there beyond the strip and beyond the lounge acts? You know, my parents never forced music on me. If anything, I think they they probably wanted me to not go into music. And then obviously once when I was 13, 14, they realized what was happening. They were like, this ship is taken off. So I think my dad wanted to write with me. And I, I didn't really understand that I needed to write with other people. So he was just like, well, let's get together and let's write. I was so green. I wish I could write with him now that I'm older, now that I've put in my 10,000 hours of co-writing. But in the beginning, we really just hole up in hotel rooms and just write. Did you find that a bonding experience? Oh, yeah. Well, he, all of his other kids, my siblings, like nobody else had the music bug. So we had a really special bond in that. He was such a great songwriter. I mean, he literally wrote songs till the day he died. Like, like and I know that's going to be me too, like whether or not anyone ever hears it. So give us the context of this yes. clip. Okay, well, you guys said that you wanted just some old footage of me that's maybe cringy. The worst, yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of cringe. So <laughs> the song that I'm playing, it's called Change the World. I think I, I think I was 16. It's Aww. actually really sweet. Like the opening line of the chorus, my mom still says it to me all the time, is the sky ain't even the limit. And I still tell myself that all the time when I get down. I'm like, this guy ain't even living, Megan. Um, but the cringiest part, it's my outfit. It's the worst part. <laughs> well, maybe we could put a link in the show notes. I actually won a contest with this song. 
Oh my God, that's so cute. And my mom didn't film it, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, embrace the cuteness or suck. We'll find out. I don't know how we going nowhere. Alone with my thoughts and Now that I hear myself clearly, I'm talking way too fast. It won't last in my direction. When I say I'm out of this place, but it seems like they're all stuck in first gear. Megan, your voice sounds so good. Like, honestly. Your outfit is everything to me. Let us change the world. Oh, so naive. What a deep, deep song for, uh, what, you're 16? Yeah. Wow. You've got... Bright pink leggings on. Oh my god! Yep, and that like classic mm-hmm. early two thousand striped shirt with the layered shirt like underneath. An emo striped hoodie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And did you notice the fuzzy pink socks and the moccasins? You do have. <laughs> I've seen you in some pretty wild outfits, though. I I guess I've always tried to stand out. I mean, like the pink cowboy hat that you walked in wearing today <laughs> is pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> what does this feel like to you hearing it back? I probably should go to therapy. <laughs> My initial instinct is I feel a little sad because I feel like kind of those heavy feelings of I wish I was farther along, but that's such as life. I mean, it makes me happy. I think she'd be happy to know that I'm here and chasing it, but there's a little heaviness, I guess. I write for people other than myself so much that I feel like that's gotten in the way a lot of of what I want to do, but I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So it's a little sad sometimes. I thought when I got here that you're supposed to write for other people because that's what so many people did. Maren Morris, Casey Musgraves, I was like, okay, well, I got to follow their path. And they had publishing deals first and they each had a song or two cut. So I thought, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I just was doing it for so long and I wasn't getting a publishing deal. And then before I knew it, people didn't want to write for me because I didn't have a lot of money to get the song out there. And even if I released it, it didn't do very much because there was no money behind it. So then why would people want to write with me for me? I get it, but then I just kind of felt like nobody believes in me as an artist, and it's kind of sad. So there's like a lot of ups and downs that go with all of this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Do you feel like you compromised some of that artist inclination that you had in trying to fit the Nashville story of writing songs for other people? I don't know if it was compromised because I feel like it was all training. I mean, I'm going to write forever. I know that. My dad did. I hope that I'm lucky enough to just be able to write forever and have cuts maybe forever. But, you know, especially as a female, there's a clock. 
on being an artist. It's so, so stupid. It is stupid. I mean, and I try to remember like people like Bonnie Raitt. Oh my God, I love Bonnie Raitt. And she didn't even hit it big till she was like 40, really. So I try to remind myself that somebody has to set the new standard. Maybe it'll be me. It's tough for women too to see men maybe 10, 15 years older right. getting that success right. and feeling like you have that expiration date, but they don't. Well, and people say such weird things in meetings. I've had so many weird meetings. I mean, somebody told me a couple of years ago, they were like, asked me how old I was and I told them and then they were like, well, worst case scenario, we'll put you in a duo. And I was like, okay. Wow. So if I go past my expiration date, I still have a shot if I'm with a guy. Okay, cool. Got it. Noted. <laughs> like, that was kind of shitty. That must have been a side of Nashville maybe your dad didn't prep you for? No. I mean, I don't know that he could. I mean, he wasn't really an artist. Did your mom have that woman's perspective to be able to prep you for any of that? Probably. I mean, my mom My mom tried to be an artist. She had label deals, and it was like, she always tells the story. It was like between her and like another artist on mercury and like she grew to be like a huge superstar so my mom told me and, and my mom of course was of a generation that was even tougher to be a female i mean I've, I've been told to lose weight i've been told to straighten my teeth join a duo with a dude i've had someone fall asleep while they were listening to my songs in an office that's my favorite story oh my um God. but it's all par for the course you know and you, you just say well i'll just put it in my memoir I think there's some poetry here and a little bit of beauty in the song you showed us. This like young version of you singing about the sky's the limit. Yeah. And then you come here and it's like you just see so many obstacles. Yeah. The glass ceiling. Yeah. You, know, you can see it, but you can't get through it. Ugh, that's nauseating. But it's the truth, don't you think? No, I don't think it's the truth. There's okay. there's still a little bit of her left in me. Honestly, there's been nights I cried myself to sleep and I thought, I wish I could quit. Like, I wish I wasn't so annoyingly, naively dedicated and I'm just not a quitter. I can't. I don't know how. But there's been times I was like, damn it, like, I wish I could. So I do think that there's glass ceilings and... Glass breaks very easily. That's true. That's when you shatter. That's when you're Liz Rose who got her first yeah. big number one at 40. You that's know? right. Like, and there's strength in numbers, too. And I think that's why they tell you when you come to Nashville, to like, find your tribe, find your people, because... You know, you're all going to kind of rise at the same time. And if everyone gets loud together, you know, we can break the glass. When do you think that you started building your tribe in Nashville? The first person that I found was Kelly. Oh, Kelly yeah. McKay. Yeah, me and Kelly started writing like the year before I moved here. Actually, I think it was like right before she moved here. And the second that we wrote a song together, it was great. And so she was kind of step one. And I was part of Songtown before I moved here. And that was my foray into co-writing and meeting co-writers. It's like dating. <laughs> Like you got to kiss some frogs. It is and dating. It is. Yeah. I've had some weird experiences. I'm sure you guys have too. I mean, I, th I think it just takes a few years. I still feel like I'm figuring it out. And it's interesting that you say that because you've been here a while. Like you're a grinder. You are what we all hope everyone who succeeds does. You build your friendships. You find the right people. You have some weird experiences, of course. <laughs> but then, but then you slowly get to that point. Oh yeah. And there's a formula and there's expectations and there's livelihoods. And judgment. And there's judgment. metrics. Like oh, there's yeah. like, what are you doing? What are you doing? One thing I do love about this town is that you can find people in this town and you care about them and you want to work with them and you have great, yeah. you make great art with them. That's how it's supposed to That's be. That's how it's supposed to be. And everything else is just noise. You're supposed to find your people that you can sit around and have dinner with 
drink with, whatever. Talk about your emotions. Yep. But I think that's how it's supposed to be. At the end of the day, when you're writing music, it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be with people you love. One of my favorite parts about the songs you write is the fun <laughs> that you put into the songs. Like Tequila Told Me Too, <laughs> uh, The Christmas. <laughs> ah! She's not talking about counting on Christmas. She's talking about a little song called Merry Fucking Christmas. <laughs> Which you wrote with Kelly McKay. And Steve Smentek, yeah. Yes. It's um, awesome. Some of people's favorite songs of mine started as a joke. I actually got a phone call today. I'm doing a little Texas tour this summer. And I got a call from this other theater that heard Merry Fucking Christmas and literally wants to have me just because of that song. Um, But you know what? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? But the funniest thing is like when I put out a cuss when I pray like five years ago now, I was scared because I just thought, oh man, like I don't want to ruffle any feathers. That's a crazy title. And then Friend Like That has a stupid rap in it. And then Merry Fucking Christmas has the F word. And Dave, my boyfriend told me, Every time you've been scared to put something out, everybody loved it. So trying to chase that, I guess. I think that's because everybody wants someone to step up and just do it. It's me, baby. I'll wear the pink cowboy hat. <laughs> can I Can I ask, you are such a positive person. You always have such a great energy to you. Mm-hmm. How, with all the struggles you, you've just been, been describing to us, where does that come from? Necessity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's the best answer I've ever uh, I mean, like I said earlier, I just don't have it in me to quit. Like to a fault, probably. I don't know where the positivity comes from. I appreciate that that's how I come off because I don't always feel that way. <laughs> I will say that every time you come into a room with me, you you roll in hard and you roll in with like a great that. energy, you know. And that's one thing that I've always been really impressed with by you. Is I'm like, I'm always like, I go into write. I'm like, well, I'm not feeling well, but. I know Barker will pick it up Aww. for us. You know that makes me feel so good. I mean, I feel like. Whenever anybody talks about you, you you feel good. But I like try to just be a good person and and lighthearted. And it's nice to hear that it it spreads. So thank you. In the process of your long journey and where you've come from and everything, do you feel like you're moving forward? Yes, but only recently. (laughs) How, How do you measure that? I don't know. I guess it's a feeling. I felt stuck for a long time and feeling stuck equals feeling sad. So I just kind of wanted to try different things and push myself a little more. And so I'm like putting out a song that that I feel like is just different because why not? I think I realized somewhere along the way that like, why are you waiting to make music videos till you have a record deal? Well, I don't have any money. Okay. Well, how do you make music videos that don't suck with no money? Well, you need to find someone who's good with camera and will not take control because I have really specific creative vision. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So anyway, I was like, well, maybe I can find someone who's good with the camera and we can become like partners. So I met Aaron Cooper last year and we've done some videos together and I started editing my own videos and they're getting better and they're getting more complex. But like I started making progress when I just started trying new things. I mean, that's helped me feel like I'm moving forward. I mean, I've had lots of label meetings. I've had publisher meetings and like there's just nothing that they need to grab onto because I don't have any viral songs. I don't have huge cuts. So like we stay in touch or whatever, but maybe something will pop off. And when they go look at my page, like, well, shit, like she's not waiting around for anyone. And I'm like, I'm going to go play in Texas. And like I vowed in December that I was going to travel this year more than ever for music in some way. And, you know, in January, I went to Florida and helped out at a conference. Um, 
And I also went to a, a songwriting retreat in California. Did anything crazy come out of it? No, but like little things, you know, mm -hmm. you meet people. I just got to see the ocean. Those were wins. That's one of those things that I think about is like the idea of moving the needle just a little bit. Exactly. You know? And like, are you optimistic? Yeah, incredibly. I feel like I obviously listen to Change the World. I used to be like naively optimistic and I'm still super optimistic. But after you are here for a long time, I totally get why people quit. I really do. Like I've had a lot of nights where I was like, oh, I get it. It would be really easy to just not do this because you start to doubt yourself. Like it's not just they're like, well, so many no's. It's not just the no's. It's the, the long term ramifications of the no's. It's the now I'm doubting myself when they said that my melody was too predictable. Now I'm doubting myself tomorrow while I'm sitting in the room. And like, fuck you. Like that, that's the worst. So it's it's overcoming that stuff that's the hardest. It's overcoming the nose and like learning from it. And it's the balance of like taking criticism and being open to it and learning, but not losing what makes you special. It's hard. I'm getting verklempt. Emotional over here. <laughs> Frank, you hit her with the final question. If you could give yourself three pieces of advice to mm. the young Megan that we heard singing in that Vegas <laughs> coffee, coffee shop. shop. Yeah. What would you say? No one's going to want you to be successful more than you. No one's going to work harder to make that happen than you. All of that to say, look out for yourself. Listen to the criticism, but don't let it change you. Yeah, that's great. Something in all of that. Yeah. So, Megan, what are you up to these days? Oh, my gosh. So much. Uh, okay. So I have a new single coming out. It's, you guys are going to play. And then we just did three jamming and jammy shows at City Winery recently. And that was nice. really fun. So we've got more shows coming up. Um, and then the Jammin' and Jammies podcast, of course, is still a thing where I get to, like, sit down and talk with industry folks. Um, and then going to play some shows outside of Nashville, which is really exciting. So this song that you've given us tell us a little bit about it yeah hold on put your pink hat on and tell us about it <laughs> does it even fit over it does not fit over the headphones but <laughs> my heart's in the right place um so me and boris here and uh cole miracle got together one day and which was your setup too you actually reached out to me and was like hey listen i have this co-writer cole miracle i think you get along with them but that was that's that I, right, I remember yeah. clearly i'll take all the credit yeah you yeah. know this is all you he had an idea he had heard another song as a pop song and he loved the drums on it and he was like i think it'd be really cool to write like a western style country song but to this pop drum beat and me and boris were like fuck it okay so we did and then uh he got this great producer scott to build us like a demo and then it just turned out so cool that i was like i should just put this out like i think we had sent it around a little bit and didn't get any initial bites and we were like let's just put it out so um it's a little bit of a departure for me it's a little poppy but it's called cowboys and uh if i love it why not put it out absolutely yeah the sky ain't even the limit baby <laughs> on that note Megan Barker, thank you so much for coming on here, for being so honest yes. with us. It was thanks Your story is so me. lovely. Oh my gosh, thanks. I can't believe it went by so fast. This is Cowboys. Girls snaps and bubbles Levi's and stubble Little rough and tumble Wild turkey doubles Don't look like trouble He'll sweep you off the sawdust To step until you're caught up his hands on your hips, smoke on his lips, gonna make you want it, but chasing spurs will only get
to know it's every bend. 